Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, you know, Heidi, we're going to have an important show today with somebody who's an expert in the field. You know, uh, after your brother was killed, I certainly worried about um, grieving children. Uh, Not a young child, but Heather was 14 and you were 19 and 20. So I know a lot of parents out there are worried about their kids after they have uh, the loss of, of it of a spouse or another family member. So uh, introduce our guest today. We want to get right into this because she's full of knowledge. Well, mom, like you said, um, we're going to be talking today about how to help a grieving child. And our guest is not only a professional in this field, but she also has had a loss. And when her daughter was only five, her father died which was Leela Salisbury's husband. And Leela Salisbury is our guest today. And she is the founder and executive director of the Kentucky Center for Grieving Children and Families. As I said, she raised her grieving five-year-old after the death of her own husband. And when her daughter was 13, uh, Leela lost her mother. So she can talk a lot about what she's seen in working with grieving kids and what her own daughter went through and how to help them. Because as you said, mom, this is at the forefront of every parent's life after a death. I mean, when Scott died, Heather and Rebecca were teenagers and I was 20. So anyway, Leela will help us navigate this. So welcome to the show, Leela. Oh, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here with you all. It's it's great to have you on. Um, So talk a little bit about your daughter was five. Mm Mm-hmm. When your husband passed away, did he pass away suddenly or was this? Yes, it was a death by suicide. So not only, you know, at the time did I feel like, you know, my how to parent a grieving child chapter was left out of my handbook. Uh, Also trying to figure out, um, you know, a suicide death added, I feel like many additional layers of complexity. You know, the first question being, do I tell her, how do I explain suicide to a five-year-old? Um, so I'll, I'll share with you all my journey. And I, I will couch this by saying, if I had to do it again today with what I know now um, and the reading and research I've looked at, I would do it differently. But so at first, um, I did not tell her it was a suicide death. I told her it was a car wreck. And um, this was actually kind of on the advice of some local professionals uh, at the time. You know, this would have been almost 12 years ago. Um, so we dipped into a children's grief support group. Uh, there's a national model for these centers. So I, I will say to your your listeners, if you are near uh, a center that offers children and family support, go there. It will be one of the best things that you can do for your kids and, and yourself. So fortunately, uh, at the time, uh, we were living in Mississippi for my work and we were near one of those. So we started going. And so I would sit in the adult you know, and caregiver support group hearing other families talk about suicide. And I, and I will say the first meeting I went to that night I just said it was a car wreck. You know, I was so embarrassed. I didn't, you know, know what 
to share, how to handle it. And immediately after, you know, I introduced myself and my loss, um, three or four people after me said, you know, my person died by suicide. And I remember driving home that night and said, I owe these people honesty about what has happened. So within the space of that group, you know, I, I shared the fuller story. And over time, I would hear them talk about how they chose not to share information about suicide losses with their kids. And it was so easy for me to see with them thinking, oh, that's a mistake. You've got to be honest, especially with older kids, teenagers, you know, they're going to find out the internet, some family member is going to tell them. So after a couple of years, I realized I've got to tell her it was really weighing on my heart. Um, so I, I went to a local child psychologist and said, I feel like I have to do this. You know, can you help me figure out the language? Uh, how do I do this? And I knew she was going to be mad, which she was, uh, because I had not shared the truth with her before. And I'd already made arrangements for her to go back to the Children's Grief Center uh, for a tune-up because I knew mm -hmm. she needed somewhere to put those feelings. And a lot of it was anger. Um, you know, she needed to be able to vent that in a safe place and to someone who wasn't me. Um, so that was that was kind of how that unfolded. Again, if I had to do it over, I would tell her from the beginning, you know, now I know that there are talking point sheets. There are a ton of free resources that families can access that literally will walk you through how to talk to a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a teenager about different types of death, um, you know. In, so, in so Leela, this is, this is really important because I cannot tell you how many parents come to me and say, I don't know how to talk to my children about suicide loss. Yes. So where can people get these resources that you're talking about? Yeah, so I've got several favorites. Um, the Dougie Center, uh, if you mm -hmm. just look up D-O-U-G-Y, uh, the Dougie Center has uh, fantastic toolkits, trainings. Um, the other resource that we really like and often send folks to is the Aluna Network, E-L-U-N-A. And they have a very comprehensive set of resources, not only for uh, bereaved children and those topics, but also um, active addiction and how to support uh, children who are um, in that situation within their family. So those are those are sort of my two go-tos. Um, you know, if you're talking about, say, a school or other professional person, one of the other resources that we love, the Coalition to Support Grieving Students. Um, mm -hmm. And again, the resources on all of these websites are free. Uh, the Coalition to Support Grieving Students also has trainings, um, you know, because in doing this work, we realized sometimes teachers, school counselors, actually most of the time, teachers, school counselors, don't get specific training and yeah. a child shows up in their office and said, you know, dad was shot last weekend or, you know, a suicide death. And they just kind of freeze because they, they don't know, you know, what to say and how to support that. Child. You know, I, I think what I'm hearing you and what's really important to me right now is that you didn't tell her till later. And how did you yeah. do that? Because I'll have to say, after you've had it happen, you're not in in great shape saying, let's see now, how am I going to tell people? And I've got to go to these resources. And I mean, you can barely turn your freaking computer on or, <laughs> you know, you can barely get out of bed and match your shoes. It's just overwhelming that first year, overwhelming. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, aren't you? Yes. Uh, so I, I will say that uh, at the 
give yourself a lot of grace because yes, as much, you know, as I leaned into, you know, reading and research, I noticed, you know, within a couple of months, the Harvard child bereavement study, you know, was on my bedside, you know, I was trying to figure out, you know, what I felt from very early on, what can I do to help her in any way possible? Because also with the suicide death, I knew the research showed that children who've experienced a suicide loss are exponentially more likely to die by suicide themselves. So sort of from the outset. Wow, that's a scary, that's very Mm -hmm. scary. And it's a, um, it's a Heidi is something like 20 to 25% is the, you know, the likely increased likelihood of them dying by suicide. You know, when I talked to families, we had our uh, recent uh, parent group and, and one of the parents who'd had a suicide loss of her husband said, you know, my teenager, I make him leave his door open. I check in on him a lot. You know, am I being overprotective? And I told her these statistics and I said, you know, unfortunately, this is not an unfounded fear that you may have. So I think you're doing the right thing. And, you know, I'm not trying to make caregivers feel even worse uh, (laughs) than they already do by sharing this information. But I, I see it more as giving them the tools that they need to figure out, you know, what they should be concerned about, you know, what things they can put in place uh, to help, to help their kids. Um, but well, you're, Leela, right- you're, you're making a good point that it's never too late to have these conversations. And, you know, you, at first you didn't tell your daughter how her dad died. And I mean, there's so many stigmatized losses out there where people aren't being that upfront, but like, you know, but then you went back later and and realized, you know, I want to have these candid conversations. I want to I want her to know the truth. Yes. And so I think for anybody out there that's listening, that maybe in that situation, it is never too late. And the other thing I've seen on on some there's some really good literature out there. Um, there's a book called uh, How My Uncle Keith Died, and not only does it talk about stigmatized losses and suicide, but it talks about okay, let's talk about what we can do if we get sad, what we can do if things aren't going well, who are our support people? Who, who do we go to? For parents out there that are worried, that have had a suicide and they're worried it's gonna happen again, these books give the kids tools and techniques and conversations about what to do. And so. you know, you, you bring up the word conversation and I will say if, you know, I've learned many things, but maybe the most important <laughs> thing that I've come to learn is this is a conversation that has to be had and is ongoing. It is, it's a conversation, you know, we're never done with uh, realistically, but, um, you know, having that conversation and the trust and that, that conversation will look different, you know, when they're five, seven, uh, my daughter now is 17 and, it was just maybe a month or two ago, um, there was a, another suicide loss kind of in her circle and she came home and she just was sort of pale. And, and I said, what's going on? And she said, I, I think I understand better what the act of suicide really is and may look like. Like she was having some images in her head, sort of reconjuring what must have happened to her dad. So I will say this, uh, you know, these are things that the the kids are going to process differently across developmental ages, across right. lifetime milestones. So, you know, for me as the parent, you know, my job is to be ready 
you know, sometimes I can predict when those conversations will come up and other times they are out of the blue. So just, you know, I know that I've, I've got to, you know, be ready to engage and very openly. And I, I will say if, if your listeners are a little freaked out by this process, you know, I, I get it. These are not, especially early on, they are not easy conversations to have. And I think if you can admit this is a hard conversation to have. I'm doing my best. I may not always get it right for you. You know, may share with how, me. How old was your, your daughter before you, Katrina, before you told her and how did you approach it? It was, she was seven. And it, it's funny because th this is an example of the, you know, parents and caregivers give yourself grace because much of the time, you're not going to get the positive feedback, you know, from your child, you know, they're not going to be like, Mom, thank you for telling me, you know, about the suicide death or the overdose death, you know, they're going to have all kinds of reactions, most of which probably won't be good. And that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong, or you shouldn't do it. Um, so I remember we were uh, in the car, you know, I did one of those classic car conversations. So we didn't have to have the eye contact, which again, maybe I would do it differently uh, now also. So I remember we were coming home from Girl Scouts. So I told her and then later she was like, mom, you have ruined Girl Scouts for me. And why would you choose to tell me in the car? You know, that my, my child was not one who was hesitant to give feedback. And, you know, for while she was little, she kind of gave me a hard time about it. And then when she became a teenager, you know, one time when it came up, I said, how would a good way to have that conversation, you know, have been? Where like, would it be? <laughs> right. You know, so and and she had some suggestions, but she also acknowledged she's like, yeah, that was never going to, you know, be a happy or easy conversation. I, I get that. Um, but what I will say and to encourage the, the parents and caregivers who do these conversations after you have this conversation, the other parenting conversations seem like a cakewalk. Uh, mm -hmm. One time her pediatrician, she she was only 10, was giving me a hard time about not having the sex talk. And, you know, I said, hey, I've tried. She thinks it's gross. She wants none of it. And he kind of read me the riot act and left the room quickly. And then what I realized I wanted to say is, buddy, after you've had the suicide talk, I will have the drugs talk, the alcohol talk, the sex talk any day of the week. Those yeah. seem easy to me. So I, you know, I, I try to think about what, what are the gifts of this as a parent? And, you know, that is one of them in, in many ways, I feel a thousand times more capable as a parent, um, especially, you know, interacting with my child about tough stuff uh, than I did before. Mm -hmm. Wow. Talk a little bit about peer support. I know you're involved with that. And I was thinking, uh, going through, you do carry these experiences through your lifetime. And uh, mm -hmm. these peers are your age. And, you know, uh, that kind of a support of people who get it through a lifetime. We all need peer support in every area. But this is a huge area of peer support. It really is. And especially with death loss and especially with stigmatized losses in the mix, um, kids feel so different and isolated, you know, partly with kids and teens developmentally, you know, they're very self-focused. So their natural instinct is to feel like, you know, either, you know, my experience is everyone's or my experience is no one's, uh, you know, it's kind of one of the two extremes. And teens often say, and especially as they you know, are, are turning to peers more instead of their family, they have a really hard time. And I know this was my daughter's experience. When my mom died, 
you know, it was another significant loss. She was just starting to regrieve the death of her father with a different understanding, you know, of what the permanence of his death and what a suicide death meant. And the permanence, uh, they start realizing that at about seven, right? That they won't. Right. Be- and and we get, so we see it a lot, you know, eight, nine, two, we start getting a lot of phone calls uh, from parents mm-hmm. saying, it's been years since the death, you know, they never talked about mm-hmm. it. They were fine. And then suddenly it's like a switch has flipped they're crying all the time it's like the death just happened and you know to their their brain now they understand you know kids have a lot of magical thinking and so they'll they'll somehow believe you know oh they're gone right now but they'll come back uh Mm -hmm. you know at that age it hits them that this is forever and i'm never gonna and their dad's not gonna be at their dance and their ball game and all those things So it it really often comes up then. So the beauty of the peer groups then, especially at any point, but when they then are in this mode, they don't tend to find a lot of people in school or other groups who are willing to talk about what they're going through. So they do feel like they're the only one. And I, I remember my daughter, I asked her, you know, why, um, why does this group feel so good to you? And she said, because there I'm not the kid with the dead dad. I am like every other kid in that room. And there is something, mm-hmm. you know, need just to feel normal. And for kids, yeah. the, other, the other benefit of this is many kids become sort of parentified, you know, their mm-hmm. caregiver may not be able to get out of bed some days or they realize you know, now it's my job to get my younger brother up, make sure he gets something to eat and gets on the school bus uh, on time. So the the peer groups is a great place for them also just to be a kid, Uh, you know, in that space, you know, they can play and be silly and they're not expected, um, you know, to be the man of the house now, which is, you know, another common message that especially boys of ridiculously young ages get told. So it you know, it helps them understand they're not the only one and then gives them that very safe and non-judgmental space to feel what they need to feel, um, you know, and just normalize what's happening in their lives. You know, your daughter's working with you now. I, I would like you to talk a little bit about her and service and what I, what you think it does for kids to be able to be out and do things connected. That has been, it's been incredible for me watching her grief journey get to this phase where I would say it's kind of her advocacy phase of this. Um, And that's come in a couple ways. So after my mom's death, um, which in many ways was actually harder on her um, than her dad's death initially. I don't know if that was because she was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I suspect mm-hmm. that was part of it, maybe. But part of it, mm-hmm. too, was, um, you know, it was, again, the second big loss that she'd had. Um, and again, another unexpected loss. So for her. Well, 20- well, and also, Leela, I'm thinking, thirdly, because you didn't have a husband and she didn't have a father, I'm guessing your mother played a really significant role in her life yes. and in yours. Yes, she absolutely did. She was our rock. So for for Katerina, um, you know, again, the second most important person remaining in her life was again suddenly gone. And the messaging she was getting from teachers and others was, it was just your grandma. Everyone's grandma mm-hmm. died. Yeah. The you natural know, yeah. situation, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. not understanding, you know, the, the context in which that had occurred. Um, so 
she that after that loss started having debilitating anxiety she could barely be at school um you know we basically describe her seventh grade year as a dumpster fire you know she started coming home with c's and homeroom and this was a straight a kid you know i couldn't even understand you know how, how that was happening and so um we it took a while uh, to get the help that she needed, which surprised me because I thought, you know, I'm the person with access, education, resources, you know, I know best how to try to put this stuff in place. And it was yeah. still felt, it still felt impossible at moments, but we ended up getting connected with an equine uh, therapy camp. So oh, she went the horses. Yes. So she, she called it jokingly uh, horse camp for traumatized kids. So she <laughs> love was- it. Love it. <laughs> a summer there as a camper and then by two years later she'd stayed in touch with them and went back as a counselor um, Matt in summers and you know has discovered you know leadership skills uh you know that she's good at having tough conversations of all stripes I I will say she's incredibly um compassionate and non-judgmental, you know, and she knows people have all kinds of things going on in their lives. So it's, I really appreciate that this work has built that in her. Well, and she's a, she's a great example of post-traumatic growth yes. because, yeah. you know, the research is showing kids that have had significant adversity and loss in their lives. They, like you said, they show up in profound ways. They're there. They, they are there for adversity. They can handle adversity better. They're showing up for their peers. And it sounds like she is certainly that person. She is. So it's, and when it comes uh, even more with the peer components, so she's been working uh, with Dr. Erwin Sandler's uh, ASU family bereavement program. They yeah. morphed that curriculum into a teen led uh, version. Wow. How wonderful. So she, she is one of four teens in the country trained um, to be the teen leader in that curriculum and Love watching it. Her with that has just, that was really joyful because even training on that curriculum let her unlock some pieces she needed to. She hadn't visited her dad's grave in about five years before she trained on that curriculum. She was still angry with him, you know, anger Mm -hmm. for kids. And I, I will tell the parents, anger is one of the biggest emotions you will see. And it will come out, you know, sideways sometimes in all kinds of different ways. And so for her, she didn't want to, to go to that grave. And literally a week after finishing training on this curriculum, she says she came in the room and said, Mom, I'm ready to go out to the cemetery now. Wow. Drop me what off a- here. I have some things I need to say, you know, to the Columbarian. All slot. right. Well, tell us how people can find you on the internet. Yes. Yeah, so Kentucky Center for Grieving Children and Families. It's www.kcgcf.org. Um, and on our website, there are also direct links to a lot of these other uh, parent resources. And I and I would just, again, reiterate to the parents, this is hard, but the leaning yeah. into this and engaging with your kids is the very most important thing you can do to facilitate, you know, the healing and health of your kiddos. Oh, thank you so much for being on our show, Lila. I know you're helping a lot of people and you will help a lot of people through our show, too. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, Lila. Thanks for everything that you're doing and for normalizing so much of what kids are going through when they're grieving. And like you said, you know, anger is a valid and legitimate emotion. And we need to teach kids how to express it and validate it and then get coping skills so that they can manage it successfully. And it definitely sounds like that is what you're doing. So thank you for everything you are doing in this space. 
Thank you. And thanks everybody for joining us on the show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.